You're either SWAT or you're not. Hello, my name is Will and you're listening to Exploding Helicopter, still the only podcast in the world dedicated to celebrating helicopter explosions in film. Now, if you head to the cinema, you may struggle to find a film that isn't a reboot or a remake of an old film or television programme. Sadly, there's nothing new about this lamentable trend. Back in the early noughties, Hollywood producers thought it would be a good idea to blow the dust off a long-forgotten old 70s cop show and spruce it up for the 21st century. That film is the subject of this show, so we're going to be looking at the 2003 movie SWAT. And talking of unoriginal ideas, I'm joined once again by my good friend Dara. How you doing, buddy? Hello, mate. Not an original idea between us. Thank goodness for that. I don't like I don't like modernity in the slightest, so uh, that's why I picked you for this show. Retro is the new modernity or something. Look how bad present day is. Like we don't need this stuff to develop exactly. into more worrying directions. We just need to we need to go we need to stay as we are or ideally go backwards. I like I like to think it's I don't like the word stagnate has negative connotations but you know let's let's look back to the preserve. Days. preserve preserve exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think we uh, I think we need to do that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, thanks for uh, coming on today. This show, my I pleasure, know my pleasure. You, I always generally have to kind of strong arm you into making any appearance on this podcast. I am a very busy man. <laughs> You're one of the most reluctant co-hosts uh, in the world. <laughs> but uh, we are obviously going to be sort of talking about a cop movie today, and uh, obviously it's a genre almost as old as Hollywood itself. And uh, so I wondered, you know, have you got any kind of favourite cop movies? Oh, favorite! You sprung this on me. Favorite cop movies. I mean, um, favorite cop movies. I, I like the '80s is a good time for cop movies because it's they kind of all fo- mostly followed that template with funny cop, serious cop, or bad cop, good cop, and they normally had like police captains who were black, shouty, or near retirement. One that just crept into my mind was what's the one with Schwarzenegger as a oh, uh, Red Heat. Red Heat. That just kind of ticks, and it got like really good bad, you know, really senior chewing bad guys in that. Um, I'm just trying to think who he is in that one. He's, got, he's, a, yeah. Ru- he's a Russian cop, isn't he? Coming over to Chicago, and he's partnered with James Belushi. That's it. So James Belushi is obviously funny cop. You know, Arnie does the the, the deadpan Arnie is like almost like perfect for that particular role yeah that's just one that sprang into my mind i don't know what do what's your favorite cop buddy cop movies well you can't really look much beyond uh, lethal weapon true some people argue that lethal weapon 2 is a superior film but uh, i'm not having any of that nonsense i think uh, i think lethal weapon the original one it's uh, pretty definitive in terms of uh, in terms of the genre genuinely dangerous like hero in term in the shape of mel gibson so mm-hmm. uh, I would... that, was, that was pre-racism and pre-sexism and pre-all his isms. I hear you, buddy. I hear you. <laughs> well, before we get into uh, SWAT, Dara, why don't you try and impress me with uh, what you've been watching lately? Well, this isn't uh, so off the wall this week. I've seen Lion, which is a film from first-time director, I think it's Garth Davis. I've got six Oscar nominations. And it's got uh, Dev Patel, who people might know from Skins, if they live in the UK, or Slumdog Millionaire. That was a big breakout film for him. Um, And it's also got Nicole Kidman as the mum. And it basically is about a young Indian orphan who gets lost in India. India is obviously a place with lots of people. Children don't have the best supervision over there. And uh, he gets lost on a train, ends up about 
1,500 miles away, ends up um, going into an orphanage and being adopted by an Australian couple who take him to Australia. And, you know, he's living a much nicer life than he would have done in India, but he has this kind of ache, you know, wants to find his real parents and turns to Google Images or Google, Google Maps to find his original village where he was brought up and uh, ends up finding his parents. Sounds completely ridiculous. <laughs> But it's a real story from a from a from a um, the book that the original the, the actual original child wrote in his later years, and uh, yeah, actually happened. Very similar to a film that I saw not too long ago. These obviously very studios know that these you find a good story pretty much with any director or even any direction, you're going to get a good great film because you know it's the power of the story that carries it through. And uh, yeah, it follows the same plot as Queen. Of Katwe, that was a similar one I saw a few few uh, months ago. And you um, uh, you do like your films about brown people in poverty, don't you? Isn't it called poverty porn? I like to go around the slums of <laughs> when I went to when I went to Rio. I went around the slums, uh, the favelas in Rio, yeah. and just made myself feel better about how rich and successful I Did was. Did you go around with a handkerchief like over your face to, uh, <laughs> in case the smell offended you? I had I had my guide put some rose petals in front of me so I wouldn't. <laughs> So, you know, I'd get to the style I'm yeah. accustomed. I recommend it to all, all the listeners, really. If you're feeling bad about yourself, go to one of these third world countries. <laughs> see see how much your pounds or dollars will get you. You know, what kind of hotel you can stay in. Yeah, you can be a big shot for two weeks. It's fantastic. But just coming back to Lion briefly, I think this film picked up quite a few Oscar nominations. Uh, well, did it deserve them? Or, or do you think it was uh, picking them up because of uh, the whole Oscars so white thing and maybe the Academy was throwing a bone to uh, its critics did it deserve mm. them or, or did uh, it a bit a bit of that i think dev patel is excellent and nicole kidman is excellent the story is really the the what makes this film there's nothing sort of that amazing about the direction or anything similar to the for what we're going to talk about today it's an amazing story done in a competent way i don't really think oscars I, I, it didn't win anything so that kind of goes to show there were, there were better films or, you know, better performances. But it's all, it's excellent. I would recommend, you know, one of these kind of feel good movies. It's, it is a really interesting and lovely story. Okay. I think it's time to rappel down the rope, kick in the door, and put the cuffs on SWAT. So let's listen to the trailer and a few snappily cut together lines of dialogue designed to give you an overview of the plot. I want you to put together a young, top-notch team for me, Dan. You select them, you train them, you mold them. I'm beginning to like this guy already. What's it like, the real thing? It's faster. Mount up. We got the call. We are waiting the arrival of an international fugitive. The family's fortune is estimated in the billions of dollars. I will give $100 million to whoever gets me out of here. Are you for real or what, Holmes? What the hell happened? Our motorcade has been hit. Stay alert, they're coming out of the woodwork. We have an ex-SWAT guy leading this attack. Matilla's escaping. Okay, guys, this is what we trained for. You will be ready for anyone and anything.
The movie SWAT came out in 2003. As we've already mentioned, it was a reboot of a short-lived 1970s cop series, which itself was a spin-off from another police series called The Rookies. The film's plot revolves around an imprisoned drug kingpin who offers a huge cash reward to anyone that can break him out of police custody, and only the LAPD's special weapons and tactics team can prevent it. Heading up the cast is Colin Farrell. He co-stars with professional Samuel L. Jackson impersonator, Samuel L. Jackson. Supporting them are Jeremy Renner, LL Cool J, and my favourite female badass, uh, Michelle Rodriguez. SWAT was directed by Clark Johnson, who has a very extensive list of credits for both acting and directing. It was written by David McKenna and David Ayer of Suicide Squad and Training Day fame. Reviews for this were neither enthusiastic in their praise or particularly harsh in their criticism. Empire Magazine said it was a solidly entertaining film without being spectacular, while Philip French at The Observer said it was lively and mindless. So why, you may ask, are we looking at this film? Well, first, it's got an exploding helicopter in it. But second, a little while ago, I asked our listeners uh, what films they'd like us to do. And this one was suggested to us by uh, Jay Cluett, who runs Life vs. Film and the uh, Lambcast podcast. So uh, maybe we can chat later, Dara, as to uh, whether he's done us a favour with this one or uh, whether we need Jay, to... Uh, Jay clue it you see maybe i'll go and hunt this man down okay that's uh i think you you may be trailing your opinion but uh (laughs) well let's let's get into what your opinion of this was so uh you know now we've got all that intro out of the way why don't you uh tell me what you thought of swap well to be fair it's not that bad but i think was it philip french that that's an absolutely perfect description like it's entertaining but mindless so you kind of you roll along with it the plot is kind of nonsense it's a real really is nonsense there's, there's many ways it could have added a little bit more realism but it's kind of drugs on from one sort of unrealistic thing to the next but you know you've got entertaining cast who people like samuel jackson as you said who just it's just samuel jackson being samuel jackson give it that kind of <laughs> veneer of cool even on you know I think it's like one of these typical putting together a team type films like an Ocean's Eleven or Reservoir Dogs. But I didn't find many members of the team particularly sort of exciting or interesting, apart from Samuel Jackson's quite good. I mean, Colin Farrell, I kind of like Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell is one of these actors who's done better movies as his career's gone on. He, he did a load of in the beginning. It's a bit like, um, who's my favourite? What's his name? The, uh, oh God, from... Uh, he did Mud. What's his name? Mud. Uh, Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey did like a bunch of r- just rubbish, awful rom-coms when he started off. And he either got himself a different agent or, you know, maybe he's got more confident in his acting. So he's taken on different roles and like goes from strength to strength. I think I think the same things with Colin Farrell is very, anyone could have played this part. And I think I was having a look, doing a bit of research uh, on the film. And I think this is one of these weird films where almost all the roles were um, actually cast to other people and they turned them down before sitting at the feet of the current, uh, I think Mark Wahlberg was the original, going to be the original uh, main character. Well, I think Um, this film was offered around like a whole bunch of other directors. So I think people like Ridley Scott was offered this. Yeah. Uh, There's there's a whole bunch of other people. He was was 10th choice. Clark Johnson was 10th choice. It's got to make you wonder if all these people are turning this film down, they're turning it down for a reason. It's not a great film. 
Well, I think that is definitely the reason. I think that it, this is, I mean, this is a super generic film. And yeah. like, I think somebody like Ridley Scott could probably make a really great cop movie. But mm. I think they probably looked at it, you know, they kind of reworked the script a bit and they never really got it into a kind of shape that he was happy with. And he just said, mm-hmm. you know what, I'm passing this. I'm going to go and make... Uh, I'm better know, than this. I'm better than this. I'm going to make something else instead. I mean, I kind of think of this as a Meccano movie in the mm. sense that it, it doesn't look very pretty it's bolted together it's very, it's very functional i mean it works for what it is but it's mm-hmm. not something that is uh, terribly attractive to to kind of look at and uh it's pretty macho isn't it i mean this oh really macho <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's, i'm glad you said that because i actually uh, i'm quite proud of this I've, I've created a new genre film it's called bloke exploitation <laughs> it's, it's filmed specifically made for men and uh, i think when we were discussing this before it's the usual thing like car chases and you know, I was expecting. I, did, I was slightly disappointed. I didn't see a pair of exposed breasts, just gratuitously <laughs> in some. You know, they could have shoehorned that in there. Uh, but it's kind of like a Fast and the Furious type thing for teenage boys. It wasn't, to be fair, there wasn't enough a TNA for my liking. But it is that kind of thing. I mean, there is a lot of essentially sort of surrogate penis measuring isn't there in this film <laughs> like they don't actually get their todges out and measure them but essentially that's what they're doing in they're doing. in particular scenes isn't it maybe that's what if you if you were in a real life SWAT team or in the police force that's what would maybe you know it's very macho environment i can't say i've ever been in there I, you know, it could be very very accurate I think there's enough in this film in its depiction of uh, police work that makes you suspect that this isn't the most accurate film. I don't think uh, authenticity (laughs) was high on the artistic approaches of this movie. It's not cinema verite, let's put it like that. Now, the first thing I wanted to kind of talk about was the structure of this film. Uh, So the movie starts with Colin Farrell as a member of a SWAT team already. He then gets booted out of that team and dumped into a boring desk job. Uh, Six months go by and then he's recruited back into SWAT and there's a whole sort of recruitment training section of the film. And then the main plot involving this crime lord, uh, that doesn't actually begin until about halfway through the movie. And I don't know about you, Dara, but it felt to me as if a lot of this film you know, I just when I was watching it, I just felt like I was waiting for it to actually begin. I was waiting for it to kind of get into gear. Yeah, it's. I guess what they're trying to do is build the camaraderie, so you're you're in with the team, and like, the team's getting brought together, and then once the team's all they've hit their markers and they beat the nasty police captain who really doesn't want anything to do with them. They, I guess they're just trying to get you to sort of empathise with the characters before the real stuff kicks in. But I didn't really, they didn't really feel much like a team to me. I don't know, the, the characters weren't interesting enough on their own. Well, they are pretty one-dimensional characters because you've got Colin Farrell's character who is called Street, presumably because he's from the street. From the you've street, got, yeah. You've got Michelle Rodriguez, who is the woman. You've then got the other team member who has a moustache, and that's basically his own. That's his thing. Kind of, that's his thing. Yeah. And then you've got the other member of the team who is kind of Mr. Expensive Taste, so he likes drinking uh, champagne. And massive spoiler here, guess which one of those characters is the one that decides to uh, sell out his team to the villain in the end? Yeah, but it doesn't, it doesn't even, like, they had, like, one shot of him in an expensive restaurant, that guy. <laughs> I don't. It's not like he had Rolex. It's just, I just don't buy it. It's kind of. It's so 
poorly fleshed out their characters. They are, you're absolutely right, like one dimensional and they don't seem to have taken time. Those little details is what make, you know, make you want to invest your time in a film. It doesn't seem to have, I don't know how many screen plays or versions of this script that they did. It felt like kind of one of those things that's been sort of mushed over by many people mm. and eventually you get just the kind of bland, blandness that is digestible but not very filling. Well, one thing I thought as to why the bonding sequences in this film, why they don't really feel like a team. One of the reasons why I wondered if that didn't work for you, and it certainly didn't work for me, is because the plot of the film doesn't actually really start till halfway through the film. And what I mean by that is that with those other films where you have a team that's recruited, so something like The Dirty Dozen is a kind of mm. classic example where you have this group of, uh, of random individuals who don't get on brought together, their mission, you know that they're going to go on this insanely dangerous mission and so therefore the training sequences have a drama to them yeah, because for a purpose yeah yeah so you wonder oh my you know if that's the job these guys have to do and they're behaving like this or these are their personalities you know are they how actually going to do it yeah. how are they going to do it and because we don't actually know what these characters are going to be called on to do later in the film that kind of first half of the film where they're being brought together as a team for me just doesn't work because there's no there's no stakes there's no jeopardy yeah. You know, so you're kind of looking at it, you're looking at it, and you're thinking, well, so what if they don't get along? What does it matter? I guess the only thing is there's a little bit of jeopardy they were trying to put on was that if, if they don't, if they fail to pass the a training mission, then yeah. uh, Simon Jackson gets kicked out of the force, and they go back to, you know, all of them get kicked out of the force. So that was, I suppose, the jeopardy. Didn't really feel like, oh, I don't know, that didn't really care. Not really. Yeah. As I think you're quite right in your summary there that's probably the reason why you're not really that bothered about whether they succeed or pass i did like that set piece where they did a fake hostage taking in on a in an abandoned aircraft that's quite a nice set piece quite an unusual thing so the potential you know there was some ideas there that could have been worked but if you're building a team and you and the viewer doesn't even care about the team that they're building then you're kind of at a, a loss to start with making a film you've definitely got a problem in that case i think you have now, the villain in this film is played by uh, Oliver Martinez, who perhaps is best known for being the heartless cad who cheated on uh, Kylie Minogue. <laughs> but uh, but uh, in this film, he plays a supposedly a sort of global supervillain. But I don't know what you thought, Dora. He seemed to me to be one of the most stupid villains that I've seen in cinema for quite some time. He's just a rich boy by the sound. I mean, yeah, how stupid are you? He's driving a car that gets pulled over by the police and he's owned by someone with an arrest warrant. I mean, just hire a car. You know, you can easily, <laughs> you can easily, you know, elude the police if they stop you by just hiring a car and showing them the paperwork. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't really do much. I mean, I, 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 I funny you mentioned Kylie Minogue because I think I've made a note here. Best thing uh, he's ever done is Kylie Minogue. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, but do you know who he's married to now? Oh, God, probably someone really beautiful. Halle Berry. Is he? Yes. Oh, well. His, his, his uh, film choices might not be great, but his female choices are second to none. You massive sexist. But, um, <laughs> well, one of the reasons why I think he is one of the dumbest villains that uh, I've, I've seen on cinema for quite some time is his decision to bring a knife through uh american <laughs> Girl, yeah. um, through american customs dara i know you've had some delightful experiences at the uh, at the hands of homeland security what uh what would what do you think would happen if you tried to uh, enter america carrying a knife in your luggage do you think you would 
you'd be allowed into the country and told to just post your knife home. Yeah, this is what they said, post it home. Is this a thing that happens in some... I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very friendly with the uh, customs officers in Houston. Uh, <laughs> I go there quite often. I like to... Hi, hi, guys. And they, they're, they're a little bit more, uh, let's say, stricter with the rules. And if you're coming in from... Uh, if you're a swarth, swarthy appearance like our friend uh, Mr. Martinez carrying a knife... I think you'll be taking a visit to a back room and uh, meeting a gentleman with perhaps a rubber glove. I mean, this was post 9-11. So that's why I found it even more inconceivable that he would just be waved through customs like that. Yeah, it's a bit weird. Is that plot? Was it kind of a plot device, that knife, to like emphasise the knife? Because he, later on, he kills the kind of head of uh, his criminal gang with the same knife. Is, it, is he making a point? I don't know. It is really weird because there's no... It's not like the knife then comes back into the film at a later point. No. So he, he, I mean, he could have killed that other guy with anything. Could have killed him with a knife in the restaurant. So With any knife? He yeah, could have um, bought a knife. Why bring a knife through? It, it didn't really make sense. So I wonder no. if, if there was something that got cut out of the film. Because why make, a, why make a thing of it? It was bizarre. The only thing that it does do is I guess it kind of introduces him as a character into the movie. But you'd think. Surely there's a better way of doing it than that garbage. Yeah, I don't know. It's just very odd. He doesn't really do much either. Like, uh, it's not, you don't see, like, as you say, if he's a super villain with billions, you know, worth billions of dollars, apparently, according to the, the film, like, it's, it's, it literally doesn't show sort of any sort of intelligence. He gets captured almost immediately, spends most of his time in prison. The only clever thing I guess he does is his, uh, the, you know, the whole kind of premise of the film where he offers $100 million to anyone who can sort of bust him out of prison which obviously then gets all the low lights from a... Do you reckon that would work if someone said on TV, I'll, get, I'll give you 100 million to anyone who can bust me out of prison? Would there be like people cute, you know, going, coming left, right and centre to try and bust him out? How do you know you're going to get paid? Yeah. I mean, it's completely... That okay, part yeah. of the film I thought was was slightly absurd. I don't know why they didn't have him send a message through his lawyer saying, look... I need to be busted out. You need to offer a hundred million dollars to these guys to bust me out of to bust me out of jail. Yeah, I don't some some professionals. Yeah, and I don't see the only element that that public appeal to be busted out of prison added. The only element that added was that then it kind of gave an excuse to the cops to be really on their guard when they're transporting him. But I mean, they could have been really on their guard just on the basis of, look, we've got this major international <laughs> criminal. He's already busted out of three prisons around the world. So, you know, we've got to be like have massive security from moving him from A to B. The, you know, you could have found, I think, a better reason than that sort of ridiculous sort of... Um... Uh, it kind of fails. You know, you can watch it, but it's just, it is mindless. What did you think of the direction of this movie? Ah, it's all right. You know, Clark Johnson, you got to love him for The Wire. Anyone kind of does who's integral to The Wire, which is a fabulous film. And he, he directed some of the episodes of The Wire. I think he wrote some of the scripts and he's in the fifth series of The Wire. Would I be right in saying, Will, that this is maybe one of his earlier films before he got established? He's not actually directed that many films. Uh, he's mostly, most of his directorial credits are in TV. So okay. the other film that I think you will remember that he directed... Uh, it's called The Sentinel, the Michael Douglas oh, Secret Service. Oh, yes. I think we reviewed that at some point, didn't we? 
I think you reviewed it. I think I might have reviewed it, and did I probably gave that panning, didn't I? I can't remember. Uh, you, you weren't complimentary about it. Okay. You know, he loves a montage, loves a montage. He'd be great like, Rocky director, wouldn't he? He'd be a great, you know, he takes he takes such a cue from Rocky. There's, you know, convoys running, fighting, shooting, SWAT training. Just whack on, you know, a soundtrack, some, you know... <laughs> You know, whack on some Jimi Hendrix or whack on, whack on some Rolling Stones, you know, instantly. I tell you what, you and me, Will, could make a film. Just do a few montages, pick a good soundtracks, you know, sell the album soundtrack. These, you know, these things write themselves. There's nothing really particularly original or interesting about the direction. I mean, the thing that I noticed most about the direction was there are moments within the film where Clark Johnson kind of uses, uh, he edits in CCTV footage. He sort of edits in what looks like news camera footage as if he's sort of trying to give this film sort of more of a a gritty feel. Mm. But they're only very fleeting moments. And so it feels like he's only sort of dipping a toe in the water of that particular style. And because it's so fleeting, it just it just feels distracting because because I think, oh, why is he doing that? It doesn't feel like actually you know what doesn't feel like he's decided that's the style i'm going for and it doesn't feel like he really owns it as an approach maybe just thrashing around trying to find to make you know jazz it up a bit jazz make a burger out of a turd i don't know very possibly but um there are quite a lot of well-known faces in this movie whatever else you think about this film it's got a very decent cast for the type yeah, of movie big cast, that it is big, big names um, who do you think sort of deserves accommodation from the mayor and who do you think <laughs> deserves to be thrown off the force well, I tell you who I did like, who is not a big part in this, but uh, Reggie Cathy, Cathy, do you know is him? He? I don't. He's the uh, he's in the wire. Um, he he is the actual captain, the black police captain in this, with quite a deep voice. Oh yeah, yeah. He's in Oz as well, which is uh, oh, yeah. one of your one of your favourites. Well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like I just like him as an actor. Every time I see him, he's kind of interesting. Or I like him as an actor. So I watch anything. Samuel Jackson does Samuel Jackson like no one else can. <laughs> And uh, he's he's always watchable, even in rubbish like uh, fifty was it fifty first state? Oh God, uh, yeah, no, appalling uh, film. Carlisle, yeah, yeah, but you know you watch Samuel Jackson because he's kind of cool. What is it with Michelle Rodriguez and vests? Is it she is she contractually <laughs> contractually obliged to always wear a tight vest in everything she does? I haven't seen her wear anything else. You know what? I think it is in her contract. I, I challenge the listeners to tweet back to will any films where uh she's wearing either a dress or you know a baggy top i i they will struggle i i you know this is a big challenge she's modeling herself on bruce willis well you know it was a great person to model yourself on but a lovely lady that she is i'd like her to vary her sartorial choices would you like to see her in a period drama like wearing a bonnet I would. Something like a Sense and Sensibility or something. I think she'd be great, you know. Or she'd be sort of perfect in, uh, what was that kind of zombie period drama mashup, like Pride, Prejudice and Zombies? Okay, yeah. So you could see her in period dress, but then she could also kick some ass as well. Kick some ass, take off the thing, wear a vest. You know. Got to get the vest in there. It's all about the vest. Okay. Yeah, so uh, Jeremy Renner. Does anyone like Jeremy Renner in the (laughs) I just don't, I don't know something about Jeremy Renner. He's, he's, he's kind of, oh, I don't know. Is it his face? I don't, no disrespect. I hope, you know, I'm sure he's a lovely man, but I just don't like anything he's in. Yeah, who would describe themselves as a Jeremy Renner fan? I've, I've got, I can't really <laughs> conceive of that person. 
Someone must like it. It must have done focus group because he he does do quite <laughs> a few films. He did he do? Didn't Jeremy Renner take over from? Uh, yeah, the Bourne, in the Bourne films. Yeah, and that obviously just flopped. he did the one that no one liked. Exactly, and then back to back to our friends again. Yeah, so Jeremy Renner is, but Jeremy Renner got cast in Avengers, so you know he gets big movie roles, and I don't know how. Let's move this discussion on a bit. So, uh, as I've mentioned, you know, SWAT is based on an old 70s cop show. But this struck me as a kind of funny one to do because this this show only ran for two series back in the mid 70s. It, it wasn't a huge hit from from what I understand. And it doesn't seem to have really had any uh, cultural longevity. It's not like uh, it's been rerun and, and picked up a kind of audience mm. on, on its reruns. And, you know, in recent years, we've seen quite a lot of these old properties that have been uh, rebooted. And often they're ones that don't seem to sort of really be that famous anymore and it just kind of you, you just sort of I, I you know they always kind of puzzle me as to okay why is hollywood bothering to exhume this old property and you know because it doesn't have any cachet so why why kind of bother with it so something like 21 jump street is a good example of of something which very few people would have remembered um, mm. You know, so you're essentially you're just making a, a new you're just making a kind of buddy cop comedy with doing the 21 Jump series. It's not like knowing that original TV series is integral to it. And it just, just puzzles me as to why they bother to kind of link it to an old property. Because I can't. Yeah, think I, I know what you're mean. adding. Yeah, it's, it's, it, you would think like if it was something that was wildly popular, you would bring it back just purely on the fact that people would have heard of it, liked it and think, oh, I'll try watching this new version of it. You know, Hollywood is devoid of ideas. We've just used up every idea going. <sighs> it's a bit depressing, really. Yeah, because I, mean, I think there are sometimes there is a good case for, for doing a remake or doing a reboot. So they're doing, you know, w- whether you like it or not, they're doing a, a reboot of uh, Flatliners. Now, that, I don't like it. Well, Why do it? Well, I kind of think, you know, that's actually a decent film to remake because the premise is actually quite interesting. So there's scope within the premise of that movie right. to, to take it in a new direction or to do it better than the original, which, you know, probably wouldn't be too hard. Um, but then, then there are other films like, say... Robocop. Like, why why yeah. do a new Robocop? I suppose you could do... You could say CGI is improved, effects have improved. You could make it a lot more jazzier. They made it a lot jazz jazzier, but they kind of the heart of the film it is empty. Actually, Robert, isn't uh, Colin Farrell in that as well? Uh, I think you're thinking of Total Recall. That's another rubbish reboot. Yeah, exactly. Just another lack of ideas. Let's just remake a great film and make it worse. Do you remember the old cop series at Chips about kind of California do. Highway Patrol? Yes, with have you, have uh, you Ponch the... and yes. uh, the blonde guy. I can't remember. <laughs> Have you seen the trailer for the movie of that that's coming out? Oh, no, are you serious? I'm serious. So they're Who's kind in of, it? Michael Penner is in it. I can't oh, remember who the other oh, actor is. Oh, yes, Michael Penner. Yeah, I know him, yeah. He's, I like him. He's good. So they're doing a kind of 21 Jump Street style reboot. So ah, it's basically they're playing it for, uh, playing for, it laughs. for laughs. And, Perfect. That's fine. But who remembers? I mean, you know, we're... We're gentlemen of a certain vintage. We remember yes. chips, but you know that that hasn't been on UK television screens for over thirty years. It's a long so, time. So who who the hell is going to remember this? <laughs> so if you're going to make a, a comedy about some police guys, why bother tying it into this old why series go back that, that, no, far, yeah. that no one remembers? I, I I'm really puzzled. And it didn't really have much many defining characteristics apart from 
they were two police officers on bikes and one had mirrored shades. So what they're gonna what they what are they kind of referencing back then? For, yeah. For now. I, it doesn't. Yeah. That, that, this is this is why it doesn't really make sense to me as a phenomena. Ah oh, well, you know, we're not des- we're not we're not cut out for for careers in the movie business. It's a lot of uh, there's not a lot of logic that goes into it. I'm afraid. Okay, I think it's time we talked about the exploding helicopter action. But first, we're going to take a quick break. So whatever you do, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. On the Simplistic Reviews podcast, we talk movies. We talk TV. We talk. Hello, Julie. What the heck are you doing? Trying to make our spots sound more exciting by adding explosions. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you could have got the point across with sound effects, not the real thing. Download the show on iTunes or at simplisticreviews.blogspot.com. I'm sure your insurance company will cover that. No, they won't. No, they probably won't. I know you were hoping we wouldn't come back, but we've got the exploding <laughs> helicopter action. To we're here. Talk about. We're still here. We're we still here. Anywhere. We're, we're battling on whether you like it or not. <laughs> we promise we're nearly done now. But during this film, the SWAT team have to protect the crime lord as he's transferred from the police station to a high security prison. The plan is for him to be flown there in a helicopter, but there is a scheme afoot to stop that happening. Just as the chopper is coming into land, a sniper in the employ of the villain starts firing at the aircraft. The engine is damaged and the wounded whirlybird begins to spiral towards the ground. It crash lands onto the street where it promptly explodes. Dara, uh, can I have your expert analysis of the exploding helicopter action, please? You know, like the film, it's, it does the job. It's passable. Uh, you kind of watch it with uh, what's going to happen next, a uh, reasonable amount of uh, attention. The only thing I kind of liked was the, the rotor blades clipping the building as it, was, as it kind of fell low. There was no, no writhing around in the cockpit. I always like to see a pilot sort of burning and writhing around. There's no, it's just, it was okay. You know, looked, it looked sort of, the, the explosion looked realistic, didn't look like CGI. Fine. Like, it's like a five out of ten. Nothing that exciting for me. I know we don't get to see the pilot writhing around, but I think we get some sort of shots uh, inside the helicopter with the pilot kind of like wrestling with the controls. Yeah, standard stuff. Yeah, but I, I like that. I like that okay. uh, kind of putting you in the, the kind of the eyes or the mind of the, of the pilot in this kind of like moment of drama as this, this aircraft goes out of control. I, I, you know, I love that. So I love the, the clipping of the rotor blades. And I think one of the yeah. blades uh, spins off and nearly, you know, hits one of the characters. And uh, I think that's something that's a kind of particular trope. Uh, that sort of started with, say, the Mission Impossible film. Mm-hmm. So you saw the kind of rotor blades spinning around. They're coming closer and closer towards uh, mm-hmm. uh, Tom Cruise's neck. I think mm-hmm. that's the kind of first example of where sort of rotor blades were really utilised in an exploding helicopter sequence to to kind of um, add to the threat. And so add, add jeopardy. Yeah, add, add some jeopardy. So you uh, see that. I like. Yeah, we get to see the helicopter crash onto the ground. It does from, crash. Uh, it does crash. Maybe I just lost interest, but. At this point in the film as a whole and therefore the helicopter had less of an impact it kind of ticked a lot of the boxes that we like ticking but i just uh, just wasn't bothered either either here nor there really with it i would agree with you though it is far from the greatest exploding helicopter that we have uh, documented uh, in this series i should mention for uh, helicopter fact fans the helicopter we see destroyed here is uh, augusta a109a so uh, is that a particular favorite of a helicopter reveals dara 
Wow, wow. Do you, do you wear your anorak a lot, Will, when you go uh, chopper spotting? Wow. I love to. Uh, I always take some fish paste sandwiches with me. <laughs> and uh, I've got got 25 years worth of uh, notebooks with uh, the serial numbers of helicopters noted down in. You know, your mum really does worry about you, Will. <laughs> there I've, tried are... to, I've tried to reassure her it's an innocent pastime. I was but... going to say, there are, there are worse things I could be doing to. Uh, yeah, it's true. Keep, keeps you off the streets. Exactly. Okay, I think it's time to lock up and throw away the key on this show. Dara, thanks for coming on once again. Always a pleasure, Will, or semi-pleasure in this case. As always, don't forget to check out the Exploding Helicopter website, where you can find a whole bunch of vaguely amusing reviews of other films. We'll be back soon, but until then, keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. Well, your test scores are off the chart. And you got all the right references. Thank you, Sergeant. Uh, can I get a hot dog with everything and a ginger ale, please? Huh? Hot dog with everything and ginger ale. Street? Same. Well, I will have a story dog, please. On uh, a whole wheat bun, plain, and a, um, a tomato juice if you got it. Thank you. I'm a vegetarian. Yeah, I'm a bit curious. Um, you've been a cop six years. You never had a civilian complaint against you? Well, I try to be courteous and professional with everyone I encounter. Well, the thing is, Dave... <laughs> David. Right, David. Um, here's the thing. There may come a time in SWAT when you got to get a little dirty behind a street bus. Do you know what I'm saying? No. Hell, can I trust a man won't eat a good old-fashioned American hot dog? He's a vegetarian.